0: Good morning. It's good to see you. <clears throat> Opening your Bibles to the text that was just read for us, Revelation chapter two, and uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that uh, I was just as I was listening to on and read. I was thinking I think something got left out, <laughs> but it didn't. <laughs> uh, just looking at it wrong. Good, to, good to see you. Uh, this is uh, an interesting text and maybe one that is difficult for us to relate to because uh, we have never experienced the things that this church at Smyrna uh, has, has had experienced. And so let's start with this question. How do you think that you would handle a severe trial? So for some of us, we would say, well, I've been through some pretty good trials, Well, in this case, we're not talking about the trials of health and the trials of things that come through life that most people have to deal with and suffer. Uh, There are, of course, numerous trials like that, but the Lord in this particular letter goes beyond that. He says, uh, you are going to have something entirely different. How would you handle a trial that becomes a threat to your life and the life of your family and the threat does not seem to go away and the threat is is going to in some cases bring some of you to death and you have a letter like that written to you how will you handle the trial i think the question is difficult and we i've asked myself that question many, many times, trying to prepare my mind if and when the day comes. And I think that's important for us to do because the Lord has warned us that those are likely situations and likely scenarios for a Christian. But how will you handle it? It's a difficult question because we know from people like the Apostle Peter that it's easy to theoretically say, yeah, I know what I need to do, I've got this. And Peter himself said, there isn't any way, looking Jesus right in the face, there isn't any way I would ever deny you. And within six hours, he denied him three times. It, it is a question that we need to consider. And the church at Smyrna was asked to face this particular test. And that alone should be a great example for us to learn from Smyrna and learn from what Jesus tells this church to do and be prepared for. So let's take a look at from that standpoint. The first thing that is important for us to do is to look at the background of the city of Smyrna. With most of these letters, the background of the city helps us understand somewhat about the situation at the city. Uh, Smyrna is 35 miles due north of Ephesus and it was a church that was deep church a city that was deeply religious but not religious of course in the good things but religious in the honor of the gods and to and to emperor worship they were they were immersed in it they were the center if you will of of a Roman cult that worshiped the emperor and followed after the emperor Uh, it is interesting that they built a shrine to the goddess roma as early as 195 bc 50 years before julius caesar was killed and so this they go way way back and they were proud of what they had done and they had a zeal and a reputation that was to follow after this roman cult the cult of the gods and the deification of the caesars and so this was extremely important Uh, they won a contest in fact entered a contest if you will and won a contest to allow them to be the first to build a shrine deifying tiberius caesar so you can see how zealous they were even about this these things and we learn on top of it that there are jews in this city and you say well how, how did the Jews escape any kind of persecution? They wouldn't have worshipped the, the Caesar. They wouldn't have worshipped these gods. Oh, not in this case. These are different Jews. These are the Jews we studied in the book of Daniel last year, who were the Jews like in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes back in 167 BC. Those Jews caved in to Antiochus in order to keep themselves alive and so they were actually promoting what Antiochus did and joined in the Greek philosophy in order to stay alive and that in some cases is what produced the Sadducees years later so you you can see that there was there was a compromise that took place even among these Jews and then these Jews use that situation in order to slander christians to even promote themselves uh, more and to save themselves from uh, from being persecuted themselves so now let's let's look at the introduction that jesus gives and you will notice that in each of the letters jesus gives a different introduction and always the introduction describes himself by something that he said or was pointed out about him in the vision of chapter 1. And the introduction also matches something that has to do with the church itself and the character of the church. Like, for example, with the church at Ephesus, he said the words of, of him who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus' end result with Ephesus is, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm walk so here's saying the one who walks in amongst the lampstands. With Smyrna, he says the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. He's told them that there's a possibility that some of you are going to die and some of you are going to put into, be put into prison. And basically what he's saying is, I've been there, I've done that, I've gone through this, I'm there for you to bring you through what you're going to have to go through as well. And so don't, don't fear is, is what the message is going to be as you, as you get down through this text so Jesus introduces this differently in each case notice his first words there he says I know your tribulation and your poverty now we've read the word tribulation in the scriptures a lot we read it we read over it and we all nod and we say yeah sure is tough when the air conditioning goes out and we're sweltering in the summer and uh, sure is tough when this happens or that happens or when grandma gets sick and we we think of those things and yes those are tough times and tough tribulations especially when grandma gets sick those are difficult you're not talking about that the word tribulation in this text is the idea of a crushing in fact it was used the word was used originally to talk about crushing wheat and separating the chaff and and there's there's crushing that takes place and so in this case, he's talking about something that is extreme. It's grinding. It's the kind of pressure, and you, most of you have experienced something like this. It is the type of crushing and tribulation. You can't escape it. You can't get it off your mind. You wake up with it. You go to bed with it. You wake up in the middle of the night with it. You don't know what to do with it. It cannot be conquered. It simply overwhelms you, and this is what they're going through. It is a very, very difficult Jesus says, I know it. I know what you're going through. Then wouldn't that I think that's important for you and I to think about. When, when a crushing tribulation comes, isn't the best thing to know that Jesus is going, I know. I know what it is like. I know you're going through it. Because sometimes when we're going through it, we're going, um, do you know? <laughs> Remember Job? He doesn't know. He's on vacation. I don't know where he is. Why doesn't he answer me? Jesus says, I know. I know your tribulation. I fully understand it, and I'm capable of understanding what you're going through. Now, look, look even further here. Poverty, I know your poverty the poverty they're experiencing apparently is what's creating the tribulation or we would say the tribulation is creating the poverty. You see, Smyrna is a rich city. It was known, we know this even today, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy city. And in this city, you have these Christians who are experiencing this extreme pressure and grinding, and they're experiencing poverty. Now, I've mentioned this before, and especially when we've studied the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Two Greek words for poverty in the New Testament. There is the kind of poverty that we would read about in Jesus' parable, The Labors in the vineyard. It is a poverty in which a man gets up and he goes to the marketplace first thing in the morning and he hopes somebody, some farmer or someone will come by and hire him for the day and he will get paid enough to take care of his family and eat for that day. That's poverty. But he doesn't use that word. He uses a different word. The same word that's used in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed the poor in spirit meaning he is an individual who is completely desolate, he is a beggar, he has absolutely nothing and the result of living in this wealthy city this way is apparent that the reason he has nothing is explained in chapter 13 and when you see in this particular text what the beast, in this case the Roman Empire, would do in these cities. He says, it also causes, this is referring by the way to the earth beast, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, lest you think this was, again, and I mentioned this, uh, I think, uh, in an earlier sermon, lest you think this was a top-down, from-the-emperor type of command, maybe there were times when that was true. We believe there is, like maybe in the days of Domitian, etc. But most of the time, this is a local thing. And in the city of Smyrna, because of their zeal... Because of their zeal for the uh, uh, the Roman cult and the deification of the emperor, this was what was taking place, especially in this city. You're not going to see it necessarily in every city. We will see that in some of the other letters, but in this case, because of their zeal for this Roman cult. And because they had unions in the city, and those unions would support this Roman cult and the worship of the gods, and you were to go to celebrations, and you were to honor the the, uh, emperor, and you were to, uh, in some cases, burn a pinch of incense to the bust of Caesar, and say Caesar is Lord, and there would be all those kinds of things very, very similar to what we saw a couple of years ago in the month of June, Pride Month, it was the same thing. There were many, many corporations that put huge pressure on every single uh, person in that corporation to join in the praise and honor of this month. And it didn't come from the president. It didn't come from, you know, it wasn't some law that put into place. It was just there. Do it or get fired in some cases. And at least two of our members were affected by it. So here is the similar type of thing that they're going through. Now, what is happening then is the city is wealthy and you have Christians who can't get a job and can't walk into the marketplace and buy anything if even had money because they're not going to sell to you. They know who you are. They know what you won't do. They know who you honor and they know you don't honor Rome. That's their perception. And you could talk all day long about, no, I have no problem with the Roman empire. I just can't worship the emperor as Lord. I don't care. That's a problem with the Roman empire. And so that put them in that situation and they had then this extreme poverty. It was further exacerbated by the fact that the slandering of the synagogue of of Satan. Notice how Jesus talks about it. He says, those Jews, which are not really Jews, he says they're a synagogue of Satan. Satan runs their synagogues. You can imagine these Jews in town, they do the Sabbath, they do all the things that outward Jews would do, but he says they're run by Satan. Which is, is, I think, one of those things that needs to trigger in our minds. In the book of Revelation, one of the things that we discover is religious does not mean serving God. The beast is religious. The sea beast we'll read about in chapter 13 is religious. The beast that comes out of the earth, in fact, enforces people being religious. And so being religious, as Jesus is showing throughout this and many texts in the scriptures, does not mean that you're serving God and does not mean that you're not on Satan's side. That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. Listen to the words. For such men are false apostles. These talking about people in the church at Corinth. Are they religious? Uh-huh. Did they say they believe in Christ? Yep. And he says, here's who they are. They're false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In teaching people who aren't Christians, this is probably one of the biggest challenges that I have, that we have, is convincing them just because it's a church doesn't make it not run by Satan. That's That's a tough statement. Well, what are you talking about are you kidding me that's exactly what jesus is saying here is a religious group in the midst of this town and they are a synagogue of satan why those jews would have been aghast at such a statement they just said oh you are a hater you're a terrible person to call us that and jesus says well that's exactly who you are because you do not follow me in fact you turn around and cause those who do follow me to be persecuted so the the emphasis that is is there is extremely important for us to understand especially in our world we can't just look at things that are religious and go well at least it's religious religious was part of the beast and the earth beast way of killing people of getting rid of people who would not follow them that was their way of deceiving the world and it was extremely damaging. Now, Smyrna is one of two churches in these seven letters, Smyrna and Philadelphia, who do not have a rebuke. So stop and consider that. Smyrna's not rebuked. They're given mainly one encouragement, one main thing, warned about what's going to happen, and then given one thing they want he, God wants them to do. You would therefore, I think, obviously assume that if they were given no criticism, that they had all the positive traits that you would read about in any of the other churches. He doesn't bother giving the long list of all the good things that you do. In fact, the churches that he gave a long list about all the good things you're doing, you're holding your breath because you're going, okay, when's the next shoe going to drop? When are you going to turn around and say what we didn't do? And that's what happens in the other, in the other letters. But with this one, you can assume Smyrna is doing all the things that God wants them to do. They are then the great example for us. To do all the things that God, that the Lord says were good in all the other churches. But now here's the key test. The key test is how are you going to handle this, this persecution that is about to come your way. So start with this. How would you meet the challenge? How would we meet the challenge today? The supermarkets are full. You go to the marketplace and you walk around. We even have some of those open types of farmers' markets today. And you walk around and you see all the food and the abundance and everything. And you either don't have any money to buy it, or if you did have money to buy it, they won't let you buy it. You have children at home, your family is starving what are you going to do? You have begged on the streets. You sat outside the farmer's market asking people for anything. A squash, anything. Could you give me something? And all the while you know that the remedy is fairly simple. Join the union, pay your dues, burn your pinch of incense, go to the festivals that honor the emperor, and it's all yours. You can have everything you want. That's how easy it is. When you're hungry, when you know your family's hungry, when you know there's nothing that you can do, how well are you going to be faithful? How easy it would be to give in to those situations. I've had a few times in my life where suddenly I noticed that there was a member in his family that weren't there anymore, weren't, weren't coming. Give him a phone call, and the answer is, well, you know, I was out of work, and... So I got a job offer, I have to work all day Sundays. I can, I'll never be able to be there again, uh, as long as I have this job. So, you know, you have to feed your family. I've known teenagers who weren't <laughs> needing to make money in order to live, even that, and accept jobs where they had to work on Sundays. Why would you do that? I had four boys, all of them walked in to get the job and says I'll work Sunday afternoon (laughs) I won't work Wednesday night but I'll work any horrible time you want me to work and I'll be your best worker and they never failed to be able to work and get a job and when they got jobs yes the employer challenged them a few times we want you to work this Sunday i'm so sorry i'll work any other time you want me to work saturday night you want me to work all the shifts that nobody wants to work i'll work that i can't work sunday i work sunday afternoon i won't work then <laughs> they never got fired because they were the best worker on the job and that was all there was to it make a stand make a stand you know the lord gave us a wonderful promise in matthew chapter 6 33 and 34 when he said seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow be anxious for itself you put me first you put righteousness and my kingdom first and i'm going to take care of you and we need to have that confidence in the lord By the way, did you notice the parenthetical statement here? Well, I want to mention this one too. Matthew 6, right after that, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We think we can do that. (laughs) Most people think, oh yeah, I can do that. He says, no, you can't. Because God comes first, or money comes first, which is going to come first. That's always the question, and we cannot serve both. Both can't be first. God has to be first, and that's the message he gives. Now, did you notice this phrase, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Love the parenthetical there. But you are rich. That is what's going to get us through every trial that comes along, knowing how rich we really are. The primary thoughts of our mind should be the wealth that we have in the spiritual realm. We're laying up treasures in heaven. In fact, Jesus specifically says, don't lay up treasures on earth merely. Lay up up treasures for yourself in heaven. The stuff that you have on earth is going to pass away. It's going to die. It's going to be taken (coughs) out. But you need to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Consider for a moment the glory that we have promised to us. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. I didn't just want to give you life. I wanted to give you an abundant, full, rich life now and in eternity. And in Revelation th- <coughs> Keep getting choked. Revelation 3 and verse 21. Listen to the promise he gave to Laodicea. I also conquer, verse 21, the one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Do you realize he's promised? If we conquer, we will sit with the Father on the throne? We We have so lowered what God has promised for us. Oh, well, we're just going to go to heaven. <laughs> or we're just going to do this. What are you think, floating around in a cloud or something? We are exalted to the right hand of God. We are the very brothers of Jesus. He warned us in Hebrews, will we be like Esau who sold his inheritance for a meal? That's what we do when we make those kinds of, of choices that are not God first. God always is to be first in everything. Now, look at his encouragement. Do not fear and be faithful until death. Now, put yourself in the position again of being a Christian in Smyrna. You're already seriously suffering. And then suddenly, Jesus in his letter says, It's going to get worse. (laughs) You think, Well, wait a minute. i'm already done (laughs) he says no i know the tribulation i know the poverty but it's going to get worse satan is about to cast some of you into prison and it's going to be about 10 days not literal days and you're going to have tribulation worse than what you're dealing with and you need to be faithful till death And I'll give you a crown of life. Some of you may are even going to die. And I want you to be faithful even to that particular point. First, the devil is going to throw you into prison. That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? He doesn't say, okay, some of those people in Smyrna and some of those leaders are going to put you in prison. He says, no, the devil is going to do this. Identify who is really the problem here. You need to understand the battle is with Satan and he is about to throw you in prison. Uh, That is important for us to understand. We can get so whacked out about the terrible things that are happening around us and how people are doing this and and legislatures are passing laws that are going to intimidate us and the devil is doing this, put it where it needs to be. For some reason that calms me down because I quit looking at a person like what a numbskull I go that's the devil (laughs) it's the devil they don't know any better it's the devil the devil is doing this oh okay well that that eases my mind some (laughs) that is a battle this would not be going on if it weren't for the devil and when you see those words tribulation 10 days probably a reference by the way maybe a couple of passages in the Old Testament a reference to Daniel who was tested remember tested in the way whether he would eat at the king's table and the implication is by eating at the king's table he would have honored the king's gods and that's the reason he didn't want to do that similar here or like when Jacob said to uh, to uh, uh, his his wives your father has changed my wages ten times you know, there's it is, it is serious testing that went on for 20 years with Jacob. And so he says, this is a limited, but it's going to be a tough period of time that you are about to go through. Be faithful unto death. You need to circle that word unto. The idea in the Greek there is, you be faithful up unto and including dying for my cause. That's how bad it's going to be. And you'd be faithful all the way to that time. You say, I got that. There's no big problem. We read of persecutions in the Roman Empire and during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, which is one of the notable ones, where a mother had to watch all seven of her sons deny the gods of Antiochus and still hold to the God of Israel. And they killed them one by one before killing the mother. Yeah, kill me. Don't touch my children. That's not necessarily what will happen. You need to be strong. Be faithful unto death. Can't get much tougher than that, right? That would be very, very difficult. And yet the Lord is saying, don't compromise. Now when I read that, here's what I think. Do not fear. How am I supposed to not fear here? Do not fear. That sounds so easy to say, but so challengingly difficult to do. Ah, but here's what he's telling us. First and foremost, there is no escaping fear in this situation, no escaping having to deal with it. We either fear the people who are going to enforce the persecution or we fear God. It's one or the other. Fear is not something that we simply escape or having to deal with it. What Jesus is saying here is, do not fear them. That's what he's saying. In fact, here's how Jesus said it when he was on the earth. Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. Notice the words, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, but after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Therefore... Which fear would we rather face? Ah! You know, the, 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 really, the really crazy thing about this is, why would I fear man and then have to fear what God will do? There's no comparison. Check it out this way. One way that he helps us is he says, Satan's going to throw you in prison that you may be tested. Oh. I always think when I was growing up, they would interrupt a television program at any given moment and go, bah, 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 and then they go, this is a test. You know, And you'd go, oh my goodness, I'm trying to watch football here. <laughs> you have to do it now. <laughs> But you're relieved they didn't say, ba ba get under your desk. The atomic bomb is coming. You know, that, the desk would have really helped. Uh, so, <laughs> they didn't do that. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, it's just a test. It's just a test. There is real value in this. Check out the value. Just hold your place just a second. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, excuse me. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. For it is fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. For that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Where did he quote from? Where was that quote? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 and right before that he says the father had not turned his face away and then turns around and says i will praise you and i will call on my bro- call you my brothers because we will are willing to go through the same suffering and that's why at the end of the text in verse 17 he said jesus has been has already suffered and he's able to help you get through the trial because he's also been tempted like you there's the beauty of it, that he's calling us, then his brothers, and he is going to bring, bring us through that. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In, with, with Timothy, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. This is part of what he's warned us about. And as citizens of the United States, we think we're impervious to it. That it's not going to happen. And he's telling us, you need to be ready. So the importance of the church at Smyrna in the letter is get ready. Always be ready. It may happen, it may not. But consider that being tested is a blessing thought about it that way he tells us to rejoice why is it a blessing because this is the devil's test and he's asking the question and he's pointed it to god will they serve you just because they love you no matter what happens to them i don't believe it and thus he puts job what he put through and he puts us what he puts us through in order to prove that we are just doing lip service when we come here on sunday and when things get tough, we're going to dump it. We're going to be done. We're not going to do it anymore. Listen to what the apostles did. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They were so thrilled. Wow, there's a response think i might be going home going (laughs) let's uh let's march for freedom (laughs) or something like this that's not the way it was peter talks about the tested genuineness of their faith it was making them authentic when you go through it you go yes i didn't cave i'm the lord's and i proved to the devil that I would not cave. And then notice Jesus' promise in verse into verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Romans were really accustomed to crowns. Wreaths. They place on the head of the one who won the Olympics or the whatever it was, and they'd place this wreath. Can you imagine winning that, and you bring this beautiful wreath home and you hang it on your wall. And within a week, it's dead. <laughs> Did you ever get an award in high school? I got a couple at graduation, put them in a box. They're still in the box. They've moved with me every place I go. And when I move, I take them out and go, eh, soon to be burned, I guess. I can't seem to throw them away. What do you do with them? My kids will throw them away. They go, oh, look at this. Dad was a numbskull in school. You know, he, you know here we are. That, But he says, I will give you a crown of life, Underlined life. It'll always live. It'll always be there. And then he says these words at the end of verse 11. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That is, I think, the coolest thing, the way he says that. We face... Two deaths and the first is going to happen no matter what why would I be worried about some government official or whoever else killing me when I'm gonna die anyway one way or another it's not going to be taken away from me but I can avoid the second death And the second death, it goes on forever. One death we can't avoid. Do you realize how foolish it is, the threat they make to us when that happens? That's the dumbest threat ever. (laughs) Oh, you're going to kill me if I don't deny Jesus? You're going to kill my children if I don't deny Jesus? You're going to send me to be with God. La-di-da. I'm going to do that anyway. I could wake up tomorrow and die of a flu, I don't know, but you're not threatening me with anything, that's laughable. That's the way we need to look at that, it's such a cool idea. So are you a Christian who serves God when it's convenient? You know, it's difficult to apply this until you get it right down to the little things. Are you only going to serve God when it's convenient and easy? Are you going to serve God no matter how difficult it is? No matter the suffering, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the shame. Is that the way you're going to serve God? That's the church at Smyrna. We can help you any way this morning. We're going to sing a song. We urge you to make that step. If we can be any part of helping you draw closer to the Lord. We would really love to be a part of doing that. You can let that be known while we sing this song or with us individually afterward while we stand and sing.